Chapter Sixteen of Uncle Silas by Joseph Sheridan Le Fanu. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Sixteen. Doctor Bryerly looks in. What had I done to excite this ungovernable fury? We had often before had such small differences, and she had contented herself with being sarcastic, teasing, and impertinent so for future you are gouvernante and i the child for you to command is not so and you must direct where we shall walk très bien we shall see monsieur ruthyn he shall know everything for me i do not care not at all i shall be rather pleased on the contrary let him decide if i shall be responsible for the conduct and the health of mademoiselle his daughter it must be that I shall have authority to direct her what she must do. It must be that she or I shall obey. I ask only which shall command for the future. Voilà tout. I was frightened, but resolute. I dare say I looked sullen and uncomfortable. At all events, she seemed to think she might possibly succeed by wheedling. So she tried coaxing and cajoling and patted my cheek and predicted that I would be a good child, and not vex poor madame, but do for the future what she tell me. She smiled her wide, wet grin, smoothed my hand and patted my cheek, and would, in the excess of her conciliatory paroxysm, have kissed me. But I withdrew, and she commented only with a little laugh, and a foolish little thing but you will be quite amiable just now why madame i asked suddenly raising my head and looking her straight in the face do you wish me to walk to church scarsdale so particularly to-day she answered my steady look with a contracted gaze and an unpleasant frown why do i i do not understand you there is no particular day what folly why i like church scarsdale well it is such pretty place there is all what little fool i suppose you think i want to kill you and bury you in the churchyard and she laughed and it would not have been a bad laugh for a ghoul come my dearest maud you are not a such fool to say if you tell me me go this away i will go that and if you say go that away i will go these you are a reasonable little girl come along allons we shall have such agreeable walk will you but i was immovable it was neither obstinacy nor caprice but a profound fear that governed me i was then afraid yes afraid afraid of what well of going with madame de la rougierre to church scarsdale that day that was all and i believe that instinct was true she turned a bitter glance toward church scarsdale and bit her lip she saw that she must give it up a shadow hung upon her drab features a little scowl a little sneer wide lips compressed with a false smile and a leaden shadow mottling all such was the countenance of the lady who only a minute or two before had been smiling and murmuring over the stile so amiably with her idiomatic blarney as the irish call that kind of blandishment 
there was no mistaking the malignant disappointment that hooked and warped her features my heart sank a tremendous fear overpowered me had she intended poisoning me what was in that basket i looked in her dreadful face i felt for a minute quite frantic a feeling of rage with my father with my cousin monica for abandoning me to this dreadful rogue took possession of me and i cried helplessly wringing my hands oh it is a shame it is a shame it is a shame the countenance of the gouvernante relaxed i think she in turn was frightened at my extreme agitation it might have worked unfavourably with my father come maud it is time you should try to control your temper you shall not walk to church scarsdale if you do not like i only invite there it is quite as you please where shall we walk then here to the pigeon house i think you say tout bien remember i concede you everything let us go we went therefore towards the pigeon house through the forest trees i not speaking as the children in the wood did with their sinister conductor but utterly silent and scared she silent also meditating and sometimes with a sharp side glance gauging my progress towards equanimity her own was rapid for madame was a philosopher and speedily accommodated herself to circumstances we had not walked a quarter of an hour when every trace of gloom had left her face which had assumed its customary brightness and she began to sing with a spiteful hilarity as we walked forward and indeed seemed to be approaching one of her waggish frolicsome moods but her fun in these moods was solitary the joke whatever it was remained in her own keeping when we approached the ruined brick tower in old times a pigeon-house she grew quite frisky and twirled her basket in the air and capered to her own singing under the shadow of the broken wall and its ivy she sat down with a frolicsome plump and opened her basket inviting me to partake which i declined i must do her justice however upon the suspicion of poison which she quite disposed of by gobbling up to her own share everything which the basket contained the reader is not to suppose that madame's cheerful demeanour indicated that i was forgiven nothing of the kind one syllable more on our walk home she addressed not to me and when we reached the terrace she said you will please maud remain for two three minutes in the dutch garden while i speak with mr ruthyn in the study this was spoken with a high head and an insufferable smile and i more haughtily but quite gravely turned without disputing and descended the steps to the quaint little garden she had indicated i was surprised and very glad to see my father there i ran to him and began oh papa and then stopped short adding only may i speak to you now he smiled kindly and gravely on me well maud say your say oh sir it is only this i entreat that our walks mine and madame's may be confined to the grounds and why i-i'm afraid to go with her afraid he repeated looking hard at me have you lately had a letter from lady knollys no papa not for two months or more there was a pause and why afraid maud 
she brought me one day to church scarsdale you know what a solitary place it is sir and she frightened me so that i was afraid to go with her into the churchyard but she went and left me alone at the other side of the stream and an impudent man passing by stopped and spoke to me and seemed inclined to laugh at me and altogether frightened me very much and he did not go till madame happened to return what kind of man young or old a young man he looked like a farmer's son but very impudent and stood there talking to me whether i would or not and madame did not care at all and laughed at me for being frightened and indeed i am very uncomfortable with her he gave me another shrewd look and then looked down cloudily and thought you say you are uncomfortable and frightened how is this what causes these feelings i don't know sir she likes frightening me i am afraid of her we're all afraid of her i think the servants i mean as well as i my father nodded his head contemptuously twice or thrice and muttered a pack of fools and she was so very angry to-day with me because i would not walk again with her to church scarsdale i am very much afraid of her i and quite unpremeditatedly i burst into tears there there little maud you must not cry she is here only for your good if you are afraid even foolishly afraid it is enough be it as you say your walks are henceforth confined to the grounds i'll tell her so i thanked him through my tears very earnestly but maud beware of prejudice women are unjust and violent in their judgments your family has suffered in some of its members by such injustice it behoves us to be careful not to practise it that evening in the drawing-room my father said in his usual abrupt way about my departure maud i've had a letter from london this morning and i think i shall be called away sooner than i at first supposed and for a little time we must manage apart from one another do not be alarmed you shall not be in madame de la rougierre's charge but under the care of a relation but even so little maud will miss her old father i think his tone was very tender so were his looks he was looking down on me with a smile and tears were in his eyes this softening was new to me i felt a strange thrill of surprise delight and love springing up i threw my arms about his neck and wept in silence he i think shed tears also you said a visitor was coming some one you mean to go away with ah yes you love him better than me no dear no but i fear him and i am sorry to leave you little maud it won't be very long i pleaded no dear he answered with a sigh i was tempted almost to question him more closely on the subject but he seemed to divine what was in my mind for he said let us speak no more of it but only bear in mind maud what i told you about the oak cabinet the key of which is here and he held it up as formerly you remember what you are to do in case dr bryerly should come while i am away yes sir his manner had changed and i had returned to my accustomed formalities it was only a few days later that dr bryerly actually did arrive at knoll quite unexpectedly 
except i suppose by my father he was to stay only one night he was twice closeted in the little study upstairs with my father who seemed to me even for him unusually dejected and mrs rusk inveighing against them rubbish as she always turned the swedenborgians told me they were making him quite shaky like and he would not last no time if that lanky lean ghost of a fellow in black was to keep prowling in and out of his room like a tame cat i lay awake that night wondering what the mystery might be that connected my father and dr bryerly there was something more than the convictions of their strange religion could account for there was something that profoundly agitated my father it may not be reasonable but so it is the person whose presence though we know nothing of the cause of that effect is palpably attended with pain to any one who is dear to us grows odious and i began to detest dr bryerly it was a grey dark morning and in the dark pass in the gallery near the staircase i came full upon the ungainly doctor in his glossy black suit i think if my mind had been less anxiously excited on the subject of his visit or if i had not disliked him so much i should not have found courage to accost him as i did there was something sly i thought in his dark lean face and he looked so low so like a scotch artisan in his sunday clothes that i felt a sudden pang of indignation at the thought that a great gentleman like my father should have suffered under his influence and i stopped suddenly instead of passing him by with a mere salutation as he expected may i ask a question dr bryerly certainly are you the friend whom my father expects i don't quite see the friend i mean with whom he is to make an expedition to some distance i think and for some little time no said the doctor with a shake of his head and who is he i really have not a notion miss why he said that you knew i replied the doctor looked honestly puzzled will he stay long away pray tell me the doctor looked into my troubled face with inquiring and darkened eyes like one who half reads another's meaning and then he said a little briskly but not sharply well i don't know i'm sure miss no indeed you must have mistaken there's nothing that i know there was a little pause and he added no he never mentioned any friend to me i fancied that he was made uncomfortable by my question and wanted to hide the truth perhaps i was partly right oh dr bryerly pray pray who is the friend and where is he going i do assure you he said with a strange sort of impatience i don't know it's all nonsense and he turned to go looking i think annoyed and disconcerted a terrific suspicion crossed my brain like lightning doctor one word i said i believe quite wildly do you do you think his mind is at all affected insane he said looking at me with a sudden sharp inquisitiveness that brightened into a smile pooh pooh heaven forbid not a saner man in england then with a little nod he walked on carrying as i believed notwithstanding his disclaimer the secret with him in the afternoon dr bryerly went away 
End of chapter 16